Welcome, 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 welcome to The Read and Rant. If you're here for the first time, this is the time that we spend together to engage in the Word of God. We spend 20 to 30 minutes every weekday morning just reading the Word of God every weekday. And then afterwards, we rant for as long as I'm afforded. This morning, I'm not afforded as much time, so we're going to get right into it. Um, but this is our time where we spend in the reading of the scriptures, in the reading of the word for the edification of your soul. Uh, guys, it's been an incredible journey as uh, we're closing out 10 weeks. Uh, this will be the end of 10 weeks. And so we've in that time, we've gone from Matthew all the way now to the book of James, which is incredible to see that we've been able now to get through this much scripture. That's powerful. It's powerful to see what we've been able to accomplish just in committing our time in the word. We've got people right now who are watching us live from all around the world. Guys, we got people from all around the world. Let me quickly shot. Oh my goodness. These are all flowing in. So let me see if I can get them. I want to get all of you. Make sure I got this right. Um, we got people from all over guys, all over. We got Ohio in the house. We got Pittsburgh in the house. We've got South Africa in the house. We have Houston, Texas in the house. We have St. Martin in the house. We have Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, Connecticut, Cleveland, Ohio. We have Zambia here. We got Fort Lauderdale in the house. We have Chicago. We have New Jersey. We have Portugal. We have Mombasa, Kenya. We have Detroit. We have Chicago. My goodness, guys, this is amazing. We have Kennesaw, Georgia, Toledo, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, Zambia, Baltimore, Tampa, Ontario. This is amazing, guys. We are all engaging to Cameroon in the house. My goodness, guys, this is awesome. Australia in the house. From down under, we've got everybody here, okay? from all the corners of the world who are engaging with us in the reading of the word. Wow, that's incredible. A lot of snow. So you're ready to read and rant. Awesome. Uh, we're going to read and then we're going to rant. For those of you who don't know, I don't have anything prepared. I've got no notes. I've got nothing like that. I'm just reading the word from a meditational posture. And I'm encouraging you to do this as well. That as we engage in the book of James today, and we spend this time in the book of James, I want to encourage you to ask three questions. What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning his people? Concerning people. And what is the Lord revealing concerning me? And this is you. We're going to pray to open and then we're going to get right in because we're not afforded as much time today. But we're going to get right in. And I want you to be thinking praying, meditating, hearing from God as he speaks to us this morning. Father, speak to us. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Lord, correct us where we need correction. Convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Reveal to us, Lord, the truth of your word, where we need revelation. Edify us, Lord. You said in your word, for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Father, fill us right now. Fill us, Lord, that we may receive from you today 
Lord, I thank you for each person who's here, Lord, who's engaging, Lord, in this time. You have said where two or three are gathered in your name. You are present in the midst. So, Father, we acknowledge your presence as we read this word. Lord, reveal to us who you are. Reveal to us, Lord, the truth about your people. And reveal to us, Lord God, what in us needs to be conformed to you. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for renewal. We pray for restoration, even in this time, Lord. For you have said, Lord, that in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence, there's liberty. So, Father, set the captives free this morning as we read your word. Bring healing to us as we read your word. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. James chapter 1, let's get right in, right into it. James chapter 1, without hesitation and without further ado, let's get right to it. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat Then it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. 
for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. For he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not for, and it is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed when he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep, can keep oneself unspotted from the world. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he had promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble on one point is guilty of them all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hmm. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. <laughs> but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed God and it accounted and, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called to and he was called the friend of God. You see, then, that a man is justified by works and not faith only. Hmm. Likewise, 
Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder where the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is like a little member is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire can be with a little kindle. And the tongue is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. A tongue is set, is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. <laughs> For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and our and father and with it, we curse men who have made it in similitude to, of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in place by those who make peace. James 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Let me say that one more time. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Hmm. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? <laughs> Come now. You who say today or tomorrow will we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Chapter 5. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like a fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of laborers who mold your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached to the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth, or with any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into temptation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from from the error of his way will save the soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Hmm. Wow. Um, there's a lot here. <laughs> um, Father, we ask that you would just speak to us in this time. Well, talk to us, Lord. Um, speak through me, speak to me, convict me, correct me. Encourage me and encourage us in this time as we engage in your word. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. Theologians hate this book. Start there. (laughs) Theologians hate this book. They can't stand it. They can't stand this book. Um. Even Martin Luther, Martin Luther called this the straw epistle. He said it's weak. He said it's weak. Hated it. Didn't like it at all. And the reason why is because it almost seems contradictory to everything that we've spoken about. Everything that we've been reading up to this point, everything that Paul has been writing, it almost seems a contradiction, right? We talked about this yesterday, right? When we were meditating and closing out the book of Hebrews, that faith is the key. We're not under the law, we're under grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're not saved by works. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And then James comes with this book. And he's he's emphasizing this, 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 this phraseology. Faith without works is dead. I will show you my faith by my works. These, 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 these theologians, they hate it. They don't like it. It's a... Martin Luther being among them just didn't like it. They didn't like the book because they felt like the book in some way has a semblance of contradiction to it. They hate it. I like James. I like the book of James. I actually love the book of James. And the reason why I love the book of James is because James... It's like the New Testament book of wisdom. 
It's the New Testament book of wisdom, right? You've got the Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's a lot of wise statements, a lot of practicality um, to it. It's, it's one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite books because it helps equip us and encourages us in our time of suffering. It empowers us in that it gives us these very simple, practical things that we can do as we grow in the grace of God. But the theologians don't like it. The theologians don't like it because they have a difficulty reconciling this one portion of scripture. This portion of scripture here, this this faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. What does it profit, my brother, if someone has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? <gasps> Hold on, pastor. But you told me, pastor, you, you've been talking about this for the last you know, week and a half and two weeks. That is faith. Faith is the key. It's all faith. It's all faith. Yes, but it's by grace. I didn't, this isn't a Bible study, but I, I feel like I need to say it this way because this will help you understand. Um, I hope this helps, okay? For those of you who are new to this. By grace, are you saved through faith? By grace, are you saved through faith? I told you, and I've been telling you up to this point, that the key is faith. We're, we're fighting sin, and we're fighting all these things, and we're trying to live the way God wants us to live, and we're trying to use our mental and emotional fortitude to be able to overcome these sinful desires and to be as Jesus intends us to be. So we find ourselves trying to be this person, to be Jesus, and yet we're seeing ourselves stumble over and over again, falling short over and over again, because we're trying to do it by our own merit, by our own work, by our own works. <laughs> but the faith gives us the access to the grace. The Bible tells us in John that he gives us, I'm just going to give you a background so you understand where we're going today. He gives us grace for grace. Does it make sense, right? How does he give us grace for grace? How does he give us grace for, wait, but he gives me grace. No, he, he gives you grace for grace. That's what it says in John. How does he give me this grace? Through faith. So he gives me grace for grace through faith. And it's by this grace that I'm saved. But there's the grace that I'm saved by faith. But then there's the grace that transforms me by faith. So grace is two sides to a coin. On one side of the coin, grace is the unmerited favor of God that now by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, God does not see my sin. God doesn't see your sin. Anybody who tries to preach you that holiness is always right, or you need to live holy, or you need to be holy, be holy for the Bible says, be holy for I am holy. And they, they preach all this stuff. They're preaching it with a very small view of grace. Their view of grace is too small. 
Because if holiness is always right, then did Christ die on the cross? Because if Christ died on the cross for your sins, then your sins are completely covered. Either the cross, either the blood is good or it's not. Either the blood of Jesus Christ paid for all sin or it paid for none. Either Jesus is a liar, either God is a liar, or God is the God who gives us the grace by the blood of Jesus Christ and the faith that we have to have access to that. So God does not, I know it's going to get people mad. It's going to get people upset. It's going to get people hot because we want to somehow own our salvation. You don't get to own any of it. You don't get to do any of it. You don't get any credit for it. God does it all by his grace. So now it's by grace. So so he paid for all sin, past, present, future. <laughs> Somebody says, well, then, so if he paid for my sin, think of it like this. If he paid for your mama's sin, if Jesus Christ paid for all sin at the cross, then he paid for your sins that you have committed in the past. If he paid for the sins that you've committed in the past, then he had to have paid for all your sins. Therefore, he pays for the sins that you've committed in the future. Oh, that's going to get people uncomfortable. Because, see, if God pays for all of my sin and now um, there's nothing that I must do in order to gain salvation. Then why do I need the Bible and why do I need any of this? And why do I need because you've made your relationship with God a transaction? You see, we cannot be righteous in and of ourselves. He says that in the scripture. He says, if you commit one, you have committed, you have transgressed the law. That means you transgressed all of it. Okay, stay with me. This might set some people free today. This might set some people free. Therefore, if Christ paid for all of your sin, you cannot be condemned now for any sin you commit in Christ. You cannot be condemned. Stay with me, family. Well, I'm going to help you here. This is going to set somebody free today. You cannot be condemned. He says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, and it was reiterated by Paul, but he says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, I am the God who sees your sins no more. He has covered your sins and completely paid for your sins. All your sins are completely paid for. The sins you've committed in your past, the sin you commit right now, and every sin you commit from here on out. Okay? This, the, this is the part that Martin Luther understood. This is the part that the, ref, the, the, the reformers understood. They understood that, that all sin has been paid for. But then they read this and they go, faith without works is dead. I, no, that's a contradiction. That's weak, James. James, that's weak to say faith without works is dead because we don't need works to be saved. You do not. We say that one more time. You don't need works to be saved. How good of a Christian you are is not what determines your ticket into heaven. How good of a person you are is not your ticket into heaven. As a matter of fact, there are going to be good people that go to hell. 
and they're going to be bad people that go to heaven. <laughs> people get hot. They get upset when I say that. They're going to be good people who are great people that go to hell. But he was a good person. Yeah. Good people are going to hell. There are pastors that are going to go to hell. There are preachers that are going to go to hell. There are ministers that are going to, they're going to be church folks that go to hell. It's just the reality. Being good is not your ticket to heaven. Goodness doesn't get you into heaven. Being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. And on the flip, there are going to be guys in death row that do. Oh man, I'm throwing everybody off today. There are going to be men in death row that go to heaven. They're going to be people that we would have considered bad that are going to go to heaven. There are people right now that we will not invite in our churches that are going to heaven because they're not good people. They're not good people. They understood that. They understood that. But now you're telling me faith without works is dead? No, man, I, I need you to work this out. I need you to work this out because um, I'm now you're telling me that, 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 that my works don't get me into heaven. That faith is the key to heaven. And that it's by the grace of God. How is it possible then? How is it possible then that somehow my works somehow coincide with my faith? <laughs> somehow my, my, my works has to coincide with my faith because it says here faith without works is dead. It says faith without works is dead. What does it profit, my brethren? Someone says he has faith and does not have works. Can faith save him? Oh my gosh, that's that sounds that almost sounds heretical. But then look what he says. And if one of you says to them, "Depart from peace, be one, be filled," you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works." That's what Martin Luther would say. That's what we would all say. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You know, believing in God doesn't get you in heaven because verse 19 says, you believe that there's one God, you do well, but even the demons believe and they tremble. You say that you know the word, but even the demons and the devil knows the word. But I know the law, I know the word, I know the rules. I know what to do. Yeah, they all do as well. Wow, I'm changing. I'm changing. It's all, it, it's, it's. And so now in James, we almost see a contradiction to Ephesians chapter eight that you just mentioned just now. We, we, we see a contradiction Ephesians chapter 8. You notice I'm, I'm soaking in this. I want you to soak in this. I want you to see where I'm at. 
Because all we have right now is, is we believe in a grace that saves us from hell. That's it. So we have grace, but we believe for many people, we just want a ticket out of hell. We just need a ticket into heaven. That's all we need. Pastor, tell me what I need to do to get into heaven. And we don't realize that we are insulting our heavenly father when that's all we want. We're insulting. Jesus said, examples, Jesus said, many will cry, Lord, Lord, and the Lord will say, what did God, what will God say? God will say, away from me, for I never knew you. We're not going to go to hell. People aren't going to hell because they sinned. People are not going to hell because they weren't obedient to the scripture. People aren't going to hell because they were obedient to, that they were disobedient to God. (laughs) That's not why. They're going because the Father never knew them. Because they never knew the Father. Ah! So this is tough now because you're telling me, Pastor, that faith is the key. Absolutely faith is the key. But faith without works is dead because grace is two sides to a coin. Grace frees you from the condemnation of sin. But as John says, he gives grace for grace. So there's another grace. He gives you grace for another grace. And that other grace that he gives you is the grace that motivates you. You know, the word grace is the word chorus in the Bible. The word charis is the Bible is where you get the word charisma, the word charisma. Have you ever, have you ever, uh, gone to a store or you gone to a market or whatever place that is and you get to the marketplace and then once you get to the marketplace, you walk in and you see like some product that you know you would never buy. You're not even interested in that product. You have no interest at all in it. And all of a sudden that salesman with the swag they got, They say some words, and once they put those words together, you start thinking, and then they reel you in, and they start telling you because they got the swag, they got the charisma, and they use that charisma, and all of a sudden, the thing you were not interested in buying, all of a sudden, you're interested in buying it. All of a sudden, the thing that you you didn't really care much about, you start going, man, you know, maybe I do need that, that, that useless pot. Maybe I do need that. That Yeah, why not? Hey, babe, what you think? I mean, I know we have three blenders at home, but, you know, I, I, this is a special blender. I'm not, you know, he, let's use it. Let's, let's get it. And if he's got good enough charisma, 
or she has good enough charisma, you will buy that product that you are not interested in and walk away with a smile on your face. Happy that you bought it. And then you get home and go, what, what, what did I do to myself? What did I just do? However, it was that person's charisma that drew you to change your desire towards that thing. Did you catch that? It was that person's charisma that changed your desire for that particular product. You didn't care about the blender when you walked into the market. Now you're walking away with a blender, believing it's the best blender you can ever have. That's what grace is. Grace is the charisma of God. The word, the word grace is charis. It is the charisma of God. So when he gives you grace for grace, he gives you the grace, the gift for the charisma. Because now the charisma of God influences you to desire things you did not desire before. To want to live a way that you had never lived, wanted to live before. To desire a way to be that you weren't, that you didn't care about before. The scriptures tell us that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Meaning, we, when we receive the charisma and the goodness of God, all of a sudden, stuff I used to like, I don't like no more. Stuff I used to want to do, I don't want to do it anymore. All of a sudden, I begin to live a different way because now I'm in Christ. And if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have, be are, have become brand new. This is the grace that we receive through faith. If you're fighting a temptation, there's a level of faith you have not attained. So when we hear faith without works is dead, he's saying there's another level of grace that you have to receive that then makes Christ work through you. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask for or think according to the power that worketh in you. When he's saying faith without works is dead, he's not talking about the works that saves you. He's talking about the works that come out of being saved. Oh. He's talking about the works that come out of our salvation in Christ Jesus for the glory of Christ. He's talking about the glory of Christ that emanates out of us now. That's right, Shannon. He's talking about the stuff that comes out of us now as a result of it. So yes, you tell me that you are a butterfly, then why are you still crawling in the mud? If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. A butterfly cares not for the, for the mud and for the dirt anymore. 
the butterfly does not look back at the cocoon and wants to go back into it to turn into the caterpillar. The butterfly has transformed into a new creation, has wings. So now the butterfly flies. A butterfly does not crawl. It flies. It goes from flower to flower. It sees another level of life and lives within that level of life. He lives within this awareness that's above this awareness of the corporeality of the, of the caterpillar and now lives in a new reality. He's above all things. We are seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. What do he say? He says, set your mind on things above. Ah, yes. Grace without works is dead. And he's saying, you say you have faith, but why are you still crawling in the mud? Unless you don't have faith. If you say you have faith, then why are you still lying and cheating? Do you not know that you are one with Christ? If I am one with Christ, when I move, Jesus moves. Christ moving through me, in me, in him we live and have our being. Christ, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ dwelling among us. So now if I cuss, does Jesus cuss? Right, Shannon? If I'm, if I'm having an affair, would Jesus have an affair? It's not about whether or not God is pleased with me. It's about whether or not my identity is in Christ. Is my identity in Christ at the accomplished work of Christ on the cross? Or am I just happy I got a free ticket to heaven? Because our ticket to heaven is free. God doesn't want to just give us a, a, a ticket to heaven. He wants to manifest on earth through us. Theologians hate James because they feel like James is bringing people back into um, um, Judaic thinking for these Jews, going back to religion. If that was true, then why would he say right there at the end, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? He says, sorry, at the end of James chapter 1 verse 27, he says, pure, undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Look what he says, pure, undefiled religion is this. Visit orphan and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. He literally said, pure undefiled religion is to remain a peculiar people that bring mercy and grace to the world. Simply what he's saying there. Oh, but we've made religion the law and following rules. If that were true, then is James contradicting with himself? No, he is not. He's saying, for as the body without the spirit is dead... Faith without works is dead also. He's saying, don't throw this grace thing around and yet you look like the rest of the world. 
Don't be tempted by the things of this world because there's still worldly thinking that looks to, 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 to seduce us. There's still worldly thinking. You know that even atheism is a religion? You know, atheism is a religion. Now they have their own conferences and services. Buddhism is a religion. Agnosticism is a religion. Why are they religions? Because they're all rooted in the same thing. They're all rooted in the same thought. They're all rooted in the same uh, uh, purview and perspective. They're all rooted for the same goal, the glory of Christ. They're all rooted in perform well, follow these rules, get a ticket to glory. New age, spirituality, all that. All that. They're all religions. When atheists tell me, well, this is not a religion, I say, of course it's a religion. You have a belief that you can't prove. You have a set of rules that you fulfill in order to support that belief and those rules. And if you fulfill them, then you have actualized yourself to what you believe that you are. That's called religion. <laughs> so atheism is a religion. And yet they're all the same religions, just in different forms. That's right, Gary. Yet the way, the Christian faith, is rooted in the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. It's not about you. It was never about you. It's not about your, your intentions on the, it's not about you getting that promotion. It's not about you getting that job. It's not about having the perfect marriage. It's not about having money. It's not about having status. It's not about having title. It's about the glory of Christ. Is Christ central? Because if Christ was in you, the glory of Christ would be central to you. And so now what this book is showing us is that when we have the faith that gives us the grace for the grace, out of that comes this way of living. This is the wisdom of James. I'm sorry, I'm ranting, fam. I'm ranting. I'm ranting and I'm out of time. I'm ranting and I'm out of time. I hope you guys are catching what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is, is we don't live to be saved. We live out of it. We don't live for the grace. We live out of the grace. We don't live to attain acceptance by God. God has already chosen us. Before the foundations of the world, he has chosen us in him. And if he has chosen us in him, then we ought to move out of that. We are moving out of that. We flow and live out of that grace. That's the grace that he gives us for. And if we can't flow out of that grace, there's a blockage. We got faith, but it's dead. And you know how I know that? It's because we're still attaching other things to our salvation. How do I know that? I want God and something. You know how I know that we have a really, really small perspective of God when God isn't enough? How I know we have a really small perspective of, perspective of God? This is how I know we have a small perspective of God. When we're happy, when we have God and something.
God and a husband, God and a marriage, God and kids. I'll be happy when I have God and some money and I'll be happy when I have God and a promotion and, and I'll be fulfilled when I have God. And, and so this God and mentality tells us that God is not enough. Jesus is not enough. And so we attach other things to it. So we bring in new age thinking into the faith. We bring in worldly wisdom into the faith. Now, relationship goals is more about worldly wisdom than it is about the kingdom of God, than it is about the glory of God. We make now economics and business all about greed and, and envy and, and self-glory and not about the glory of God. Oh, we make everything that we do. So we're bringing the wisdom of the world that satisfies the self. Oh, I'm ranting today. We bring the wisdom of the world that satisfies the self and we attach Bible to it. God and my promotion. God and my million dollars. God and my status. And yet he says here in James chapter 3 verse 15. He says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, demonic, demonic. Oh, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. People get really, really riled up when they hear that because they go, they go, oh, snap. Um, I thought demonic wisdom was the wisdom of demons. No, the demonic wisdom is the wisdom of your desire. <laughs> the demonic wisdom is the wisdom of your desires. That's why he speaks about the temptation. He gives us a strength to overcome those temptations, but he's given a conviction here. Earthly sensual wisdom is demonic wisdom. When we talk about demonic wisdom, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I did some teaching here, but let me do a little bit of teaching. Any type of wisdom that satisfies your flesh is demonic. When we think of demonic wisdom, people go, oh, that's super spiritual. It's like when demons come and they, they, they possess you with the wisdom that can be that, but it's not that. He says, this wisdom, any wisdom that does not descend from above is demonic. And yet the wisdom that comes from above can only come by the spirit of God. So if you're sitting around tantalizing and pleasing your own desires and your own agenda and not receiving revelation from the spirit of God that testifies to our spirit, of the truth of what God's wisdom is, then we are subjecting ourselves to demonic wisdom, not the wisdom of God. And this is the temptation in the church because we want things, people, promotions for our own glory. I've had couples who, I do couples counseling with them and and not as of late, but I remember one time I had a couple that I was doing counseling, premarital counseling for them before, because I don't, I don't do wedding ceremonies unless I do premarital counseling. 
And I don't, I just don't have the bandwidth now as I used to. But when I did it, I remember this one couple, I said, what are you looking forward to? And they said, we're looking forward to being a power couple. And I said, a, po- a power couple? They're like, yeah, we want, we want to, we like, we want to be a power couple. And I said, a power, power couple. Like, like having power. Yeah. So people, we want to be a good example and show people. And I said, I said, so you want your marriage to glorify you? Yeah. Yeah. So we can be a power couple and, and man, we got goals and we have things. And I'm like, oh, so you, oh, you know, that's demonic. And they were like, what? Are you saying I'm possessed by a demon? I said, no, no, I didn't say you're possessed by a demon. I said, the wisdom that you're using is demonic. Because it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. And look what he says in verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. (sighs) That's where I'm closing. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I'm stopping right there. This is the one of the most powerful. Let me say that one more time. This is one of the most powerful, most convicting verses of the Bible. This is one of the most powerful, most convicting verses of the Bible. For what envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are, are there. Why is this so convicting? Because we live in a day and age where people want to actualize themselves. where people want to actualize themselves. People are in a season of self-discovery. I'm I'm looking for myself. That's in, uh, brother, that's in James 3, verse 16. It's one of the most convicting verses of today, today's time, this cultural moment. It is one of the most convicting verses of the cultural moment. that we want to seek ourselves. So in matters of sexuality, if if we're dealing with same-sex attraction, which there are probably those of us who are here who have struggled with that or who are facing that right now and are wondering, what does God want for me? Um, I want to speak into you. You are not what you're attracted to. The cultural moment wants to lie to you and say to you that they don't want you to be who you are. In the same way that I am not whom I'm attracted to. You are not who you're attracted to. Because you understand, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a heterosexual man. Maybe I'm on a spectrum. Ooh, that's going to sound really weird. Maybe I, but that's not who I am. I'm not what I'm attracted to. But, but, but culture wants to make us that. Culture wants to say you are what you're attracted to. 
Culture wants to say that you they don't want you to be you. You are not your job. I'll use another example. You are not your job. You are not your money. You are not your money. Isn't it funny how people will lose a million dollars in a day and commit suicide because they felt like they lost themselves when they lost their money? You are not your money. You are not what you're attracted to. You are not in the business of self-discovery. You're in the business of self-sacrifice. Of allowing Christ to be revealed through you. You are not. I, I want you to understand that. That we've been seeking demonic wisdom. It's demonic. It's demonic. And yet God is saying we are one in him. You're a child of God. That's what I'm closing with. You're a child of God. You don't need to discover yourself. Why? Because God is in you. And the moment you begin to look for self-discovery, every evil thing is there. Did you see that? Please, Christians, 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 hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. It's right there. Very clear. Very clear. Wherever you're seeking yourself, every evil thing is there. Every evil thing. Every, every evil thing. Even in church, people are trying to discover who they are through church culture. Every evil thing is there. Every evil thing is there. So what do you do? You lose yourself. You lose yourself. You have to die to yourself. Paul said, I've, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer is it I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You have to lose yourself. And most people can't do that. That's why people go to hell. They don't go to hell because they sin. They go to hell because they would rather be themselves than to take on the identity of Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ. That's why. They reject the Savior. And in doing so, have rejected the presence of God. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. May the Lord be with you. May he cover you. May he cover you. May he cover you. May he, may he deliver you from the temptations of your own self-desires. May he deliver you from the temptation of self-gratification. May he deliver you from the temptation of self-glory. May he deliver you from the temptation of self-seeking. May he deliver you from me, myself, and I. And may you find the glory and the grace of Christ in your life. And may Christ live through you. I proclaim that and I declare that over your life in the name of Jesus. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. In Christ alone. Christ, our hope of glory. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him. Father, I thank you. 
Lord, that you've brought us here. Lord, reminding us as we read your word, reminding us that we must lose ourselves. That we must lose ourselves. That we don't live for ourselves, but that, Lord, your charisma lives through us. Thank you for your grace over our lives. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that for the people right now, Lord, who are attending and who are participating, Father, I just, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, give them the spirit of grace, Lord, the Holy Spirit to reveal these truths to them. Lord, that they may know you and understand you for, Lord, they won't understand until they are in you and they cannot be in you without the work of grace. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, as these words are being spoken, that they would receive these words by the power of your spirit. And I declare that in Jesus' name. Amen.